You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Good morning. God bless you, Daddy. Thank you. I was asked a few times this morning, the last time I was here, my wife and I have been in the process of adopting from a small nation in Africa called Burundi. And the biggest hurdle about adopting internationally within what's called a Hague nation is the referral process. So in non-Hague nations where you're adopting, so China would be a non-Hague nation, you can choose a child that's waiting, and then you go th- start going through the process of being, um, them being approving of that adoption and d- you sending in all your paperwork. Well, in Hague nations, like the one we're going through, you send all of your paperwork up front, and then you wait and wait and wait, and you get put on a waiting list. And as children become available, going through that process, so we were waiting for two years, Um, For two years, our paperwork has, um, since we started our paperwork, and we've finally been matched. And we got matched um, a couple months, or about a month and a half ago. And so now we are getting ready, hopefully by the end of the year, to be able to go over and travel and pick him up. And the beautiful thing is I actually got to meet him when I was over there in um, March, April of this year. And so that was really exciting. He has never seen a white person before. And so when he saw me, I was expecting this amazing, beautiful moment where I would go, they were, they were saying to him, um, because they, they were hoping to have us matched, they were saying and pointing to me and saying, Papa, that's Papa. And so I was expecting this moment of sheer bliss, and he turns around and looks at me and screams <laughs> nonstop for um, about 25, 30 minutes. And then I spent about an hour trying to, uh, trying to get, get him to like me. I'd offered him cookies and everything you could think of, my keys, my phone, my wallet, whatever you could think of. Um, this little, he, at that time, he was about 13 months old. And so I was trying to offer him everything and nothing was happening, but it was really cool because you know, they were playing with him and I was able to hold him, but he didn't know that I was holding him. And so we have this fun picture I showed, I showed Rick, this fun picture. It looks like it's just sheer bliss. He's smiling and I'm smiling, but he doesn't know that I'm holding him. And so then he turns around and looks at me and flips out. And so, yeah, we're excited to see what happens. Uh, <laughs> are you good? Right on. Good. Um, This morning, I want to um, dive into something that's very important to me because I feel that understanding this concept is extremely important if the church is actually to be effective in the world around us. And I would actually say that one of the main reasons the church has been ineffective of actually working outside of itself is because it's become so inward-focused about trying to defeat something that's already been defeated on your behalf. And so we've actually wasted so much time trying to conquer an enemy that's already dead. It's almost like we've been trying to give CPR to a corpse. 
And this is the concept that I want you to, I want you to grasp. The fact that you no longer have a sin nature. You do not have a sin nature. More than anything, I like with friends um, that I see on, on, on social media, one of the things that I constantly hear is this battle that people have that they feel like they have to just conquer this thing of sin within them. And this is what I would say. If you are waiting for death to be done with sin, then Jesus is not your Savior. Death is. If you are waiting to be done with sin until you are dead, then death has become your Savior. Jesus is in. Let me talk to you about the, the Industrial Revolution. Let me see if I can make this make sense for you, okay? So I go to the Industrial Revolution. We have lost trust in ourselves and the beauty of what Jesus has actually done on our behalf. We've lost trust in it, and thus we've lost trust in ourselves. And so in the Industrial Revolution, before the Industrial Revolution, the way business took place was very interesting. It was very localized, okay? Everything was localized. You didn't go outside of your city very often. And if you did go outside of your city, it was for something massive that, you, that, that your little city didn't offer. And so before the Industrial Revolution, if we, if we were to engage in commerce, what would take place is if I owned the general store and you were the blacksmith, then you would come and you'd say, hey, I'll trade you a couple, uh, I'll, I'll trade you a couple um, horseshoes for a few pounds of sugar. And we were in such close proximity that we didn't need a law to govern us. There was, it would always be known if I gave you some sugar and you didn't give me my horseshoes. There would every, the entire town would know that there was a breach in trust. But when the Industrial Revolution took place, all of a sudden, things that we could get, horseshoes that we could get from neighbor down the street, the blacksmith down the street in exchange for our sugar, and thus no law was needed, all of a sudden we could get our horseshoes from way, 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 way far away. And no longer was there relationship between the two parties that were actually exchanging the goods. And so when there is no trust, when there is no relationship, when there is no, there, there's nothing binding together, then a law has to be put into place to govern the relationship. And see, what's taken place, what's taken place is within ourselves, we've actually lost, we've, we've been so heavily relying upon a system and a law to govern us that we've actually lost the truth and lost sight of the truth that there is no need for a law to govern us. We have relationship, an intimate relationship with God himself. And the beauty of what's taken place on the cross, the beauty of what's taken place on the cross is he actually abolished the need for the law. And, and instead of the law, he wrote his law upon our hearts and gave us the Holy Spirit to be in constant relationship with to where we don't need an, out, an outside source to govern us. We actually have an internal reality. Now do you see why I say, if you believe you are at war with yourself, then that means you need an outside source to govern you. You can't actually be governed by what's inside of you because you don't trust yourself, nor the Holy Spirit that's dwelling inside of you. You no longer have a sin nature. See, this is what, um, this is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says. 
And I'm sure you've read this many, many, many times. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The word old in the Greek there means this, pertaining to what was in former times long ago. So all of your long ago, your history, the old things, all of that that's been chalked up against you, all of that is no longer you. In fact, it says all of that has been replaced by something new. Now that word new in the Greek there is really important because there's two different types of, two words for the word new in the New Testament that are used. One is like, I went and bought a new car, okay? One, I went and bought a brand new car. See, what we can see with a new car is there's been old cars that are similar to it. You know, when you buy, if you, if you buy a car in the same line, you know, from 1980s, the Honda Accord, there's still a Honda Accord, but you can go get a new Honda Accord, right? When we use this, when Paul used this word new, he wasn't meaning it in the terms like we're using it to go buy something new. The word new in the Greek there means has never been seen before. It's never been seen. It's completely, it's like it's, it's, my shoes are coming off. It's like the, it's something that has never been experienced on the world today. When you and Jesus were intertwined as one, it created something that the world had never seen before. Which means all of that old stuff, you're not just a remake of an old model car. <laughs> You're not the newer version of the old you. You are a completely new creation. So Jesus actually says, he, he hints at this when he talks about being born again. See, we've made the term born again about just being saved for eternity. But the term born again is really, really important to understand. The term born again, which um, Jesus uses in John 3, and he says this to Nicodemus. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The term born again, the word born in the Greek there means to procreate, to be procreated from. The word again means from above or from the beginning. See, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, exists outside of time. Outside of time. And see, you were not created. You were not created the moment that mom and dad created you. I don't know of a better way to say that. <laughs> that, that was when you were conceived. Thank you. You get in those moments where the words, you're like, what is the right way to talk about that? <laughs> when you were conceived by your father and mother was not when you were created. God speaks to Jeremiah and he says this, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. So long before you were ever the product of physical intimacy of your parents, you were actually known by God. And so to be born from above, to be born from your beginning is not to be born, not to go back to the, to the time when you, it was like you were a little kid being born. It's actually to go back to finding your origin in the heart of God before time ever began. What's crazy to me is this. We live our life in such a way that we, we have built a wall of separation, a curtain, if you would, of separation between us and God. And we say, if we could just get ourselves good enough, 
then God will accept us. What's crazy is when we look at ourselves from God's perspective, we were created before we were created. We were conceived in his heart before we were conceived in our mother's wombs. We were created on purpose for a purpose. But the beautiful thing about this is God, who is outside of time, has seen our past, present, and our future and still chose to, to, to create us. Which means... The wall of separation is always from our end towards him, not from his end towards us. Which is the battle that we've been trying to wage, to eradicate this sinful nature within ourselves. But when we realize that we have been born from the beginning, when we walk into that place and live from that place, everything changes. We live as if we were this new creation, this creation that's never been seen before, this us that the world has never known. This world has never seen us the way we were originally created to be. And when we become one with Jesus, we become that person and we can live in that place. We can live in that place Romans chapter 6 is very interesting to me. Romans is one of those, one of those books that um, encapsulates the, the fullness of the gospel for me. I absolutely love reading Romans because Paul gives this systematic, just like point by point. My brain, I like to, I like to, see, I like to see the point by point. And Romans gives this point by point. And he walks all the way from Romans 1, and he's painting this picture about the sinfulness of man. He's talking about the sinfulness of man and how man is sinful and how there's no excuse. I don't care who you are, if you're a Jew, if you're not a Jew, if you've never heard of Jesus, if you have heard of Jesus, there is no excuse. Everyone is sinful. And he gets to this point in Romans chapter 6 where he begins to speak a lot about sin. Now, what's interesting about Romans chapter 6 is that the word sin is mentioned 17 times. The word sin is mentioned 17 times. But if you were just reading it, thinking of sin in one way of thinking, it would really mess you up to read Romans chapter 6. If you are reading Romans chapter 6 with an understanding that you have a sinful nature as a born-again Christian... As a born-again believer, if you are reading it in, in, in through that lens, you would start beating yourself up. You would start finding and, and thinking that you are wrestling with yourself on a constant basis. That there is this constant battle that's taking over. But this is the crazy thing. Out of the 17 times, out of the 17 times that the word sin is used in the book of Romans, only one time. One time, and that is actually in Romans 6.15, that it is used as a verb. It's used as a Greek verb, meaning, meaning an action or an occurrence, something that you do, okay? A verb is something, it's an action. We're moving, it's movement. So one time out of 17 is the word sin as something that you have done something that you do, something that, is, that you are actively participating in. The other 16 times, the other 16 times, the word sin is actually used as a noun, which is far different than an action. It's used as a noun, which is a, let's go back to elementary school, a person, place, thing, or an idea. 
What Paul is speaking about in Romans chapter 6 is that there is this entity, this person, place, thing, this, this entity that has existed inside of you. And this entity has ruled over you. And it is something that has existed inside of you through the bloodline of Adam. You know Adam and Eve, that... Right? Okay. That entity has existed in the bloodline of humanity all the way back to the first Adam. But Romans also says that there's a second Adam that came in and destroyed the power of this governing entity that was inside of man from the very beginning of Adam. This is why it's crazy to actually see what born again really means. Because when we believe that our origin is found in the first Adam, the Adam from the garden, then we are constantly, constantly thinking that we are to receive his inheritance, which is death because of sin. But when we are born again and we find our origin back in the heart of God, then we realize that God is our father. See, John actually speaks about this in 1 John and all three of the, the last Johns. He speaks about this as God being our father. And he uses this term that we are born of the seed of God. That word seed in the Greek is the sperma of God. We are literally, we are, we are conceived in the heart of God. And when we go back to that place, all of a sudden, that new creation that we've become, we realize that the bloodline that we are, we are tapped into now is not the bloodline of the first Adam that has this governing entity of sin, this noun sin inside of us, but we have a new bloodline and the blood that's going through our veins is now the bloodline of God the Father. And that's our new origin, which means the governing entity is completely wiped out. We have a new daddy. We have a new way of living. We have a new way of seeing ourselves. And that that nature that was inside of us, that was demanding of us to act a certain way, to live a certain way. It's abolished. It's abolished. It doesn't exist anymore. The old you is not you anymore. The new you is you now. (laughs) You may say, Because what comes next in Romans is Romans chapter 7, right? 6, 7. We in agreement with that at least, right? Okay, cool. (laughs) Romans chapter 7, verse 13. This is, I'll I'll give you you, um, just a a quick encapsulation of this. How about that? Because I want to move forward. Romans chapter 17, 13 through 25 is the, is the, the classic, if, if you have read any part of Romans, where Paul is saying, the things that I want to do, I can't yeah. do. And the things that I can't do, I want to do. And, you know, you know, he basically, I don't know how many times I've heard Christians use that term. Well, see, the things that I want to do, I just can't do it. And the things that I, I can't do, I, I really want to, Right? And so we, we, have, we have adopted that, that way of thinking without reading the whole thing. 
Because Paul isn't actually, Paul isn't creating a scenario for us as Christians to live in. He's not saying that this is our day-to-day. Oh, I wish I could do this. I wish, but oh, what was me? I can't do it because I'm just a horrible, wretched human being. I can't actually do that. But all the things I want to do, I can't do it. He's not creating that scenario. He's not creating that as the narrative by which we are called to live. See, if we are called to live empowered, but we, we have a theology that disempowers us, how will we ever be powerful? And so we, we have adopted this narrative where we're like, well, I just can't do it. I can't. I wish I could. I wish I could. Almost like the little engine that could. Like, I wish I can. I wish I can. I hope I can. I hope, right? You get down to, to the end, and he says this. Paul says this. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So he comes to this conclusion. He's like, I, this is inside. I can't handle it. Who will deliver me? Who can end this vicious cycle of what I want to do, I can't do? What I can't do, I want to. And he says this, Who can deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He puts an end in that one statement. He puts an end to the whole thing. The whole narrative of you being able to say, all I want is that, but I can't do it. I can't do it. Or this thing inside of me, it dictates me. It's controlling me. I can't do it. I can't make the right decision. Who can save me from this? You have been. You have been. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How many of you have heard this from Isaiah 53, 6? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. It's this idea that we are all like sheep. We we are walking this death march and we've just turned away from the shepherd. And I've heard this as one of the other ones we, we use to beat ourselves up. I'm just a sheep. I've gone astray. My righteousness is filthy rags. Look at what happens when we insert Jesus into the middle of this. When we insert the work of the cross of what actually took place, when we insert that into this way of thinking of we're just sheep gone astray, 1 Peter 2.25 says this, if you, for you were like sheep going astray. <laughs> you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You have found your origin and you have been birthed from your true origin rather than identifying with your, with your earthly father in that lineage, in that bloodline. And when you tap into your origin from the the shepherd and overseer of your soul, it changes everything. No longer are you a sheep that has gone astray. You are a shepherd who's in the, you're a sheep that's in the flock. It changes everything. All of a sudden you realize you're not just wayward out in the middle of nowhere, drifting, waiting for death to be done with all of these horrible bad decisions. You realize you're powerful. The question is, okay, cool, Danny, but I still sin. (laughs) I still make really bad decisions. Is that because you choose to or because you have to? 
The answer is, in, in light of this, it's because we now choose to. Before, when we were bound by the bloodline of our, our, our earthly father, Adam, we were governed by this entity that, that was like a slave master. It literally says all throughout the New Testament, we were slaves to sin, slaves to the noun sin. We were slaves. And as a slave, we were dictated by our master. We had to choose to do things the way that he tells us to do them. And so this is why Paul was saying, I wish I could make the right decision, but I can't. Because I have a master that's over me telling me that I have to do it this way. I can't do it that way. The way that my heart desires to do it. But I can't do it. I have to obey the words of my master. Well, when we, when we were born again and we were born from above and that bloodline came in and that was no longer tainting us, that entity no longer taints us. It no longer rules over us. We have a different master. We are bondservants of Jesus Christ, which means now we can be dictated by what he is speaking and by what he is saying, which means those moments where there's something, a decision to be made, and we choose not what is right, but we choose to engage in the verb of sin. It's not because of our nature. It's actually because of the choices that we are making. This is what I call the divine dichotomy. <laughs> the, the divine dichotomy. Something in dichotomy is where they're like standing next to each other. And it's like two truths that can, it's like they coexist, but they seem contradictory. And so the divine dichotomy is this. You are absolutely perfect. Your spirit is perfect. When you were born again, your spirit became perfect. But guess what? Your soul and your body are catching up. <laughs> your soul and your body are catching up. See, you are a triune being. Triune meaning you're three. You're three parts. Your body, which is this right here, yeah. right? Your soul, which is the seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your spirit. Your spirit is what connects to God. Okay. And so those, this triune being, your spirit has been perfected. You have, there is no wall of separation between you and God. Through the spirit, there's no separation between you and God. Now this is the thing. There are still wounds and lies from our past that can yell really, really, really loud in our ears. And guess what? Our flesh isn't perfected either. And guess what? Our flesh has lusts and it has desires. There's things within us that we want to act upon, that we want to consume, that we want to be a part of. But that's not our spirit, the core of who we actually are. See, what we have done is we have flipped the whole thing around. We've said, if I can get my flesh and my soul under control, then my spirit can be connected with God. Instead of realizing, instead of realizing there's already complete perfection and connection with God and thus living from that place towards our emotions and our flesh causes those things to come into alignment with what's true about us in the spirit. See, this is why Paul makes absolute crazy statements like this in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. He says this, walk by the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. 
He would not say that to us if it were not possible. If, if he was operating under the framework that many Christians operate under right now, which is you have this sinful nature that you are dictated by sin, you have to do this, then how can he say that you don't have to do it? He'd be contradicting himself completely. But what he is saying is this. There is this place in life. We can literally, from this moment, this is going to sound absolutely insane, but hear me. You can choose not to sin ever again. Right on. Will you? Probably. <laughs> because, because, our, the, the soul part of us and the, the, the physical body part of us are not perfected yet. This is the journey that we are on. This is the journey that we are in. It's every day living from the Spirit towards our emotions and towards the lusts of our flesh. Every day bringing those things into alignment, realizing that the lusts of our flesh and the emotions that, that seek to dictate us, they are, our, our bodies and our emotions are not bad. But as, as Bill Johnson said, they're better followers than they are leaders. Because this is the thing. If, I was, if, if, I, if what was true about me and I allowed to dictate me was my emotions, I have the best day and the worst day of my life within five minutes of each other. Like, honestly, I can go from like one moment being like, this is the best day ever, and then walk out the door. I'm like, this is the worst day. Why do I exist? Why is this taking, why, why me? <laughs> Even though five minutes before I was totally fine. There are things inside of us like an onion. And I like, I like to use this because it makes you cry when, when it's opened up like an onion. See, we are not, we, we do not come to this place where we arrive the moment we meet Jesus. This moment where it's like everything is perfect bliss. In fact, in fact, Paul writes in Philippians and he says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. You are not perfected body, soul, and spirit until you're looking at Jesus face to face. Which means that gives far more room for you to mess up and experience the beauty of the love of God in every part of your being. That also lets you off the hook of being able to say, I, because, I, because I choose to make these decisions that I'm not powerful. When in fact, this is putting the, the power back in your hands to begin to say, there are lies that are present all from my childhood, from the way I, I've interacted with people, the words that people have spoken over me, the, the, the way people have interacted with me that have cut me deep down to the core of my being. And there are still moments to this day that I choose to live thinking what those, what those voices from my past, what they say are true. Or when, I, when, when stress rises up and what, all I want to do is to indulge in something that's not Jesus. Those, that exists. But that doesn't mean that I'm separated from God and that God has moved himself away from me. That is meaning I am allowing my heart to dictate my spirit. 
It's turning the tables. Instead of realizing from this day forward, when I understand this truth, when I live this truth, I'm going to be faced with those decisions all the time. I'm going to be driving down the road and someone's going to cut me off. And my first response isn't going to be, bless them, Lord. <laughs> I'm, going to go to, I'm going to go to Thanksgiving and my mom's going to be there. I'm going to go to Christmas and my mother-in-law is going to be there. I'm going to go and I'm going to interact with people that remind me of people from my past or treat me the way that someone from my past did. And I'm going to, at that moment, and you all know this feeling, you all know this feeling where you're about to engage in something and you just get it in the gut. You're like, don't do it. Don't do it. You know that feeling. That's called your spirit saying, hey, I know, I know what you're, what you're wanting to do right now. You're wanting to lash out and you're wanting to destroy that person because it's poking on something that still hurts inside of you. It's not going to turn out right. I promise. <laughs> I promise. And then all of a sudden we begin to see in those moments, we go, Holy Spirit, what lie am I believing about myself? What lie am I holding on to? Danny, your mom doesn't really care about you. Your mom doesn't really care about you. She didn't fight for you. You need to fight for yourself. Okay, Papa, what's true? I'll fight for you. You don't have to fight for yourself. I'll fight for you. And then all of a sudden, I allow that truth to sink in. And it brings what's true about the Spirit. It's like a chiropractic adjustment. It brings into alignment my soul and my body by what's true in the Spirit. So we have to get over this idea that there's something inherently wrong with you. That there's just this sickness inside of you that's controlling you and, and, and commanding you to make your right and left turns of, of in these sinful behaviors and ways of thinking instead of realizing, no, my spirit has been perfected. My spirit's been perfected. And now I'm walking this journey to my ultimate perfection by bringing my soul and my body into alignment with the truth of what the Spirit is constantly speaking over me. You're a new creation. You're powerful. That doesn't mean you don't mess up. The beautiful thing is this. 1 John 2, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So that you may not. Which, adding that in, says that's an option. <laughs> and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also the whole world. It's time to stop fighting against a dead enemy. It's time to try, stop trying to resurrect that old, that old nature. It's dead. Let it be dead. Start living as the powerful person you are so when you see those things coming or they catch you off guard, you're not in a place of a victim. You're actually in the place of a victor who can rule over 
those circumstances. You might not be able to rule over how people interact with you or the situation, but you can rule over how you're going to live in that place. And if you believe you have a sin nature, then you feel justified in living in a powerless place, dictated by everything around you, instead of realizing the powerful person that you are. Let me pray for you. Let's stand together. Jesus, we say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your amazing work on the cross. That you have welcomed us into perfection and are walking with us on a journey to full perfection. Yes. Maturity. I pray, Papa, that these people would experience full freedom right now to live in this powerful place, all of us, me included. That we would live in freedom, the freedom that you have set us free, that we are no longer slaves, but we are sons and daughters who find our origin in your heart. That you looked ahead in time and saw even the poor decisions we would make. And you looked and you said, worth it. Worth it. Worth it. They're worth it. <coughs> I say to you, you are powerful. I say to you, you are not a victim. I say to you that you are no longer a slave. You are free, beautiful son, beautiful daughter. You are free. Yes. Lord have mercy. You are free. Thank you. And I say to you, go in the light of your God. Go in the love of your God. Go in the peace of your God. Go in the kindness of of your God. Go in the unconditional love of your God. Go in the mercy and the grace of your God. Go in the power of your God. Yes. Yes. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.